0: hello with cp podcast listeners this is your host julia and it is thursday september 1st happy fall everyone <laughs> it is three forty p.m and we're back today for another episode of tea time with ben and julia i have my co-host ben right here hey hey <laughs> it's a very sleepy thursday for us so yeah anyways um we are here for the very last episode of the model minority arc we're wrapping it up today with two very special guests. But before we get to our guests, Ben, shall we introduce ourselves briefly to our audience? Yes, so
1: my name is Bin. Um, this is the last of the ARC, so hopefully you know who I am by now. Um, but if you don't, I am identify as a Vietnamese-American. And I grew up in Vietnam, and I immigrated to Tacoma when I was seven.
0: All right, and um, if you don't know me already... Um... I would be concerned. <laughs> um, my name is Julia. <laughs> um, I identify as Chinese American. I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington, um, but my parents immigrated from China. All right, and then we have our first guest. We have Larcy Douglas. Larcy, would you like to introduce yourself?
2: Well, thank you both for having me here. The first time on this podcast. Uh, my name is Larcy Douglas. Everyone, and I am. Let's see, I identify as Filipino American. I too came to the United States when I was seven with my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have had a great, uh, I guess, lots of life stories to share, being the first um, Asian American out of my family to do lots of amazing things. Also, um, some things that you'll just discover as the podcast progresses into the topics that we're gonna talk about today. So looking forward to
1: the conversation. Yeah, 7 is just the magic number to immigrate. I just don't know why. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, and we have our final guest on the podcast today, Charles Douglas the 3rd. Would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Hi, I'm Charles. Um, I think this is my first time on the podcast too. Second time? No.
0: Nope. First time?
3: First time? Um, yeah,
1: this series. On this series. Yeah. On yeah, this series. Been here.
3: I've been, I've been, I've been here in just a different different mode. Uh, I identify as Filipino and black. Uh, Or African-American. Born and raised in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Spent part of the time on Hilltop during the 80s and the rest of the time firmly middle-class in North Tacoma. So some different experiences.
0: So Ben, what are we talking about today for the last podcast episode in the series?
1: That's a tall order. I don't even have a definition for what we're doing today. Um, But if you followed this arc from the beginning, there's going to be a lot of common themes that jump out in this session. We've been talking about how Asian Americans are seen as the successful ethnic race, whatever that means, right? Measured by the American dream, measured by our financial success, but not our political power, and how our proximity to whiteness um, kind of prevents is pervasive. It kind of bleeds into everything we do and all of our perceptions about what we can do. Um, today, I think I think, since we spent like the last two to three episodes talking about proximity to whiteness, we should talk about the other end, right? Which is distance from blackness. So this is an episode about what it means when Asian American communities um, go against other communities of color, specifically the black community yeah what
0: about, what about your story
1: oh, yeah. been your story <laughs> your story okay <laughs> this is I am not gonna try to make this humorous but it might come out humorous so there is like a very like clear moment in my life when I was young where I realized this dynamic for what it was um so I grew up in Tacoma and my neighborhood is like this this kind of like round thingy, like there's only one exit and one like entry. Like roundabout. It's a is Cod- it a roundabout. It's a code de sac. It's a cul-de-sac. Cul-de-sac. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It's a de but it's a big code de sac. Like it w- it's not like a round thing where you do like a little drive and it's done. It's like a square. You know? And like this this is like new development in the neighborhood and most of the people there were um Vietnamese immigrants themselves or Ukrainian immigrants. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Yeah, but, like, the neighborhood itself, like, is situated in East Side Tacoma. So I went to school with, like, a lot of um, immigrants, kids of colors. Um, yeah, all of that. And when I got old enough in high school to be able to entertain dating and love and shit like that, my dad took me aside and he was like, you can date anybody you want, just not a black boy. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Wow. So... That, that was like my first time I was like, what the fuck? Mm. Mm. And then I had to think about that actually for a long time. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Especially being in a
2: place that has a mix yes. of those um, individuals and communities that you integrate with every day, you talk to them. Mm-hmm. So you probably have friendships that were formed around that too.
0: Yeah,
1: This was when I entered FOSS. <laughs> FOSS
2: High
3: School. FOSS, Foss High School. High School. <laughs> Did your parents tell
2: you that too? I don't think my mom said that explicitly, but it was kind of known and more in the family that you just that darker skinned just was not the way to get ahead in life. Mm-hmm. Um and you know for for my family where I grew up in the Philippines, we are rural Filipinos, so we are where my village is situated is right off the water. So we're fishers, we're we're a fishing village and my uncles are super dark because they go out and fish all day long and come back and being out in the water and underneath the heat, like we we are more darker skinned, but the women tend to be lighter skinned. And there was a lot more emphasis of what life could be, like life would be better if you were a lighter skinned person. Um, So, yeah, growing up even just in a small barrio on a tiny piece of an island, there was already like anti-dark skin sentiments.
0: Yeah, I think um, for me growing up, um, I feel like anti-blackness came out in like subtle and not so subtle ways as well um so like my dad would be like driving (laughs) and every time somebody would like cut him off or like just like do something rude to him while my dad was driving my dad would just be like just under his breath mutter like oh my god it's probably like a black person (laughs) and like as a child like you hear that growing up and you're like what does that mean like why why is my dad like assuming that this type of behavior is associated with this this kind of identity right um and i remember like my my best friend from high school like he's a black male and you know when he first came over to my house a few times like um my parents would call them like in chinese it's called Hai, like small black boy (laughs) it literally translates Mm -hmm. to small black boy and um it sounds like kind of like derogatory in a way right Mm -hmm. like like when my when I bring my white friends over, they don't call him like a shabaihai, like a little white boy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, it surfaced in like really subtle ways like that. And um, I remember my best friend like trying to bring bring my 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 black friend over to her house. Um, her parents were uncomfortable with a black person coming into their house, mm-hmm. and my friend had to wait outside, and I would wait outside with him. Yeah, so yeah, it was it was like very, like, subtle, but also not so subtle ways of just anti-blackness showing up in my life. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah. So how do you... uh, So now I told you about this, where, like, you're supposed to drive the conversation, but now I have questions for you. (laughs) So how do you... How did you all overcome that upbringing? Because that's not how I was raised, obviously.
2: Um, Well, actually, can I switch that really quick? And I actually want to ask you, Charles, um, identifying yourself as an African-American raised for the world to be seen to look at you like a black person when you hear about us talking about it. Like how does that make you feel? Not knowing it wasn't that long ago.
3: And time is relative, so you say that not that long ago. <laughs> it's
2: not that long ago. You're okay. show,
3: you're showing that you're the you're an elder A P I person. Um <laughs> Uh, how does it make me feel? I mean it's not surprising um in it uh you know it, it's you know that kind of news is something that black people are when you've been raised culturally black with the knowledge of how the society sees you, you are armored against things like that. People prepare you for that and so. It's not shocking. It's still sad on its face, um, but it's not. It's nothing that you allow to like knock the wind out of your sails because you can't. Like the like, black culture is about resilience and it's about uh, acknowledging that there that people think less of you before they even meet you.
2: Mm-hmm. But how do we begin to? How do we begin to switch the mindset? It's, it's similar to like girls getting warned not to dress a certain way mm. so that that way we don't attract a certain situation to come at us. Mm. How do we start to engage with society and the people closest to us to practice this, that instead of, instead of having a person wait at the door because they are uncomfortable with that person coming into their household, how do we start to shift the narrative of saying, why don't we, don't you wanna welcome people into your home? Like why, like, do you, you know, so like, how do we start to, what 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 would be the first step to start reshaping or redirecting that type of conversation?
1: I mean, this is a very similar question to what Charles was asking earlier, right? Mm-hmm. About how do you break out of that mindset that you, you were taught? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, personally for me, I asked my dad why, and he couldn't explain himself. And that was an automatically a red flag for me. Because if you can't explain something so adamant, then I want to know even more. That, that's kind of like locking stuff away in the treasure chest and told me not to open it. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, already, like, I didn't believe him. <laughs> the, and then, like, he, I he mean... Didn't, he
3: didn't believe his guidance. Like no. you didn't value. It. You were like, I'm not listening to
1: you. Yeah, it was. It was in one ear not the other. Got it. Yeah. Yep. So that was that was one thing. But then, like you know, my mom says it too. So does my family, as you say, right? Mm-hmm. Like darker skin was always um, devalued in in my family and my culture as well. Mm-hmm. Which is, mm-hmm. I have one of the darkest skins in my family. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> so, still <laughs> so, like already, I was like, mm, I don't know about that. Yeah. And then, um, and then as I was just saying, like I was friends with. People that you know my dad trying mm-hmm. to warn me away from and that's just simply not right like I go to school with these people I like I eat lunch with them I see them every day mm-hmm. you know so on what basis is my dad who has never like seen me in school see my friends um, telling me that they're bad or like that, that I should stay away from them in some sense mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that was that was like that was like my first Reaction and then I I, and then I just started learning more about it I started learning about the history and then I realized there is a reason Mm -hmm. Um, and It got a lot more complicated though because we immigrated here Mm -hmm. So my dad shouldn't have these prejudices because he didn't grew up or was born here Mm -hmm. So in some other ecosystem that he was a part of like between when we immigrated to when he gave me that warning he internalized Mm-hmm. Anti-blackness, and that was actually the fascinating point for me. It's mm-hmm. like where where did this come from, and how has it grown?
3: Yeah, because the rules, society when you, when you arrive, the rules are set. Mm-hmm. The rules are were already set for generations, and so for for you all, it was very clear. If you want to succeed, you should look like this. Mm-hmm. If you the people who are treated a certain way automatically, like your parents are savvy, they get here and they're like, yo. These people are treated this way automatically. Like, I could see that person did nothing and they're still treated that way. So, like, me telling you to stay away from them is. Maybe, maybe partly to do with like I don't want you in that any of that bad luck that they're mm-hmm. getting, whatever. But the rules start to start to yeah. uh, they start with that because it's about survival and then assimilation, yes. and then the values creep in after that because mm-hmm. they don't come with animosity. No. They don't come with like I automatically don't like you because of X, Y, and Z. They they they're they're told the rules. They want to succeed, and then they start to adopt the values.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think assimilation plays a really big part into it um the way that I going back to Charles like answering your question the way that I kind of like unlearned and continue to unlearn like what my parents preached to me what they taught me um is like I think exposure and education um like number one just like I went to a very white elementary and middle school and like the first time I ever saw another black person was in, in my high school, right? Um, and like getting to know them, becoming best friends with them, um, like sleeping over at their house, being invited into their family. Um, like that community that I got to build and those relationships, like one that was like exposure to me. I was like, you know, like you guys are just like trying to survive because you're humans just like me. Um, they're like for me like the the black like community members that i met and friends that i made like they're some of like the most generous like welcoming like wonderful people like ever right and so for me like it was like how how could you treat someone like so horribly just because of the color of skin right and then i think too like education learning about things like about like the criminalization of like black Mm -hmm. men and the school to prison pipeline Mm -hmm. and the way that um black people are p- portrayed in media and have been portrayed throughout history and learning about like the history of slavery and um what the, what like how that kind of translates into the now it was kind of like like wow just learning all of that history learning all that education um has really helped me like unlearn a lot of like my parents racism and then also like kind of like countering that too mm-hmm. just being like hey like why are you saying that? <laughs> like you like or or also just just straight up being like no you can't say that <laughs> like like call him by his name like he has a name you know call him by his name like um, yeah I think that's how I learned it.
1: But I also feel like it's a constant process because I mean, like like I think when I was young like you can see that people are treated differently different kids get treated differently but I didn't understand why I just knew that was like something that happened um, and I didn't understand why until. Maybe in high school or college, and even then, right like, like education is so stratified that like by the time I got to even tenth grade because I did the IB program, mm-hmm. they were mostly I was my class was mostly white and Asians. Mm-hmm. Same like when you go to UW, it's literally mm-hmm. white people and mm-hmm. Asian people, mm-hmm. and so I think for me it's a constant check because um, I still internalize some of the reactions that I have, and it is like, and it's like such kind of jarring for me when I think back about like when I was younger and I didn't really understood the name the dynamics um, and I was like perfectly fine interacting with with other kids until now where other people's uncomfortableness makes me uncomfortable Mm. Mm -hmm. and like just like that feedback loop but my, my question for Charles and Larcy is like do you still keep yourself in check when you have these internal things like stuff that you internalize like over the years what have you internalized and is it still a work in progress to work past it i think my i
2: think what what's transformed for me is my bigger fight to to switch to switch mindsets more Mm -hmm. than anything like i think that i think i think the idea i think to me like we're gonna assume that exists because it exists even just there's lots of things in my own filipino american community um that still is really prevalent among the older folks Mm -hmm. about you know Mm -hmm. anti-dark skin all that stuff Mm -hmm. we are just now having this conversation in the community which is awesome and great but also is not going to be an overnight switch Mm -hmm. and we're also coming into a generation where like you know i'm in my 40s now well, actually, no. I'll be forty one this year, so not you quite. You are in my um, no, you are <laughs> your... Parents.
1: That's what that means. <laughs> but <laughs> um, where
2: where inter- inter- like interracial marriages are are much more common mm-hmm. than it was growing up, right? And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I have friends who are who have you know mixed race children, and they're just beautiful, and they get the best of both worlds, all that stuff. But we I also have a community that is grappling with a grandma or a grandpa who has anti-dark skin, anti-black sentiment. Mm -hmm. And they have a grandchild who's now a half Asian, half black baby. Right. Mm -hmm. And they are now forced. So we are coming into a generation now where we can no longer have those conversations in a polite way. We're just going to throw you bloodline now (laughs) to get you to realize these things. Right. Mm -hmm. Even with my own mom. So, um, so I think, I think it's good that it's happening now, and I think mm-hmm. we should keep that in the forefront of reminders. Also, it's a still a really tough topic for a lot of people. Um, and some of them will favor certain children who were more lighter skinned than darker yeah. skin. like yeah. that's still right. a really common practice among elders mm-hmm. and everything, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and I think, I think for us, individuals who are more empathetic, who do recognize it, need to band together for the victims of that, and mm-hmm. or need or if we're going to be the ones to be the lesson, to teach that person a lesson, be comfortable enough to say the things that we want to say to in defense of that particular situation. Now, do we get it right all the time? No, Uh, but I think if we constantly show up in that space in that capacity, we start to also prove that it's not just their family, it's everyone else who's, those bystanders who are actually speaking up Mm -hmm. and calling it out for what it is. So there's that that's happening now, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think we have ways to go. We have absolutely ways to go. Um, And I think because we have so long to go and a certain standard has been upheld that is distancing ourselves from, 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 from blackness, I think that it's also a natural thing that there has been some pretty kind of, what's the word, pretty, um, what's the word I'm looking for, that there has been some kind of backlash to that too. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also just our space that wanna balance the situation out in some capacity, in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's a constant, it's a work in progress and it's a constant thing that we're gonna have to keep um, you know, reminding folks this is still what we're going
0: through yeah yeah, yeah um, Charles I think like I'm really curious about like your perspective on the situation because you are both an Asian person and then you're also like a black person so like you are living both experiences so like mm. how have, how has that experience been for you like growing up and like um, like what kind of messages did you receive about like your identity mm. your communities um, and like how are you relearning some things, unlearning some, some things? Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, so the, so let's see. Sorry, I went to bed at 5 a.m. <laughs> I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I was working. We got a lot of field work we got going on. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, let's see. So, so I was always like in between. Right. So I'm always I was always too black to be fully Filipino and too Filipino to be really, really black. At the same time, societal norms say that anyone who looks like they have black in them is black. And so and, and black people. And this was a this was also, you know, if the the one drop rule right um this is these are not things we made up these are things that that were written into laws in this country if you had some black in you then you were black and then culturally we begin to like absorb everyone who is outcast from their their other you know regardless if you're raised by a mother and she's single and she's whatever race you can come in and be a part of our family so anyone who has black in them is black and so my default Categorization, the way my dad raised me was to be a black man because I look like you can tell I'm black and something else. So that's how I was raised uh, this. But I was always in between. It was never fully accepted. I remember when I was young, uh, when I'd walk in, and my hair is all different and stuff. Me and my little brother, we'd always be talked about and shunned uh, by people who are like, you know, my uncles and stuff. First relatives we were always kind of the other other people that were over there and my mom fought fiercely for us fiercely like she their relationship is that she uh had to destroy in on the filipino side because people didn't respect us um and she was a single mom for a while too so that was like a a big burden she had to carry um the I think the 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 thing that it taught me, though, was, you know, when you're in between two worlds, then you really get you get to understand how to move between them. And you understand what it means to to not be fully accepted and yet still have to, like, communicate and survive and get what you need. And so I think that, you know, the the, on the upside, because that's why I look that's how I look at things is on the on the optimistic side. Uh, on the upside, I I, I have these strengths. Mm-hmm. I can work across difference. I can empathize with people who are different than me. I know what it feels like to not feel like you belong anywhere, mm-hmm. um, and I can communicate at different levels. I can code switch. I'll do, you all y'all see me in the field when we go into black neighborhoods and we're knocking on doors, and I just like switch like that. So that's the good thing. I will also say that like that's my experience, and this is not. I do not. I am not the bar. There are people who are, who are mixed race, uh, black and something else, and they, you know, they they don't come out as as unscathed as I sound. They they are destroyed. they never. They never feel like they're they belong anywhere. They're never confident. And those those that like lack of belonging and the disrespect constant that you get, small stuff, big stuff. It adds up, and these are people who um, you know you now see them on the fringes of society, and you wonder how they got there and it 's because at a young age, someone decided that their life was worth less than others, mm-hmm. and they didn 't have a chance to prove it to anybody and and so I guess the my my hope for you all is that you you understand, and for Asian people generally in Seattle, and like you said, you dub. <laughs> that they understand that, that they're privileged, that you understand that you're privileged, and then you do something with that. And I know you are, because you're a part of this organization. You're having this podcast where you talk about these hard things, and you don't have to. You actually do not have to. We are an organization that is about voting and volunteers talking to voters and getting that stuff done. And this is kind of like tangential. Right? If you didn't have this podcast, nobody would blame you. And yet you are taking the step and you're, you're making it happen. So I appreciate it. I think that nothing is gonna ever get solved in a podcast and no one's gonna be completely heard in 20, 30 minutes. Um, but continuing, you asked about like how we make it through. And Larcy, you said something similar. It's, we, it's a battle on all, all fronts. Mm-hmm. I have to fight it. You have to fight it within your families. We have to make sure that the policies that we help build within the workplace think of these things. You have to think about the volunteers and the voters that we access and the partner organizations that we touch. Uh, the people who we choose to welcome into our lives and spend the most time with. Like That's that's where the battle's waged. And
2: yeah, And also to just normalize these conversations, not just in a room full of closed doors. I mean, you have an audience out there who's listening to this, and you have other people you're practicing these conversations with. So just normalizing this conversation, that empowers people, because it breeds words to eventually to action, where Mm -hmm. you're like, oh yeah, I can empathize more. Oh yeah, I can just be a good bystander. So I think just normalizing the conversation is a a key thing. Um, I think not shying away from whether or not you're gonna get the, the moment right, whether or not you feel that it's going to be a good consequence or a good outcome or, not a, or a consequence, it's just doing it and, and living with what happened after that and living from that and taking that lesson moving forward. Yeah. So I think that's my thing It's just like, let's start normalizing all of this conversations.
0: I think for me, like how I want to um, move forward, is like recognizing and calling out that like Asian success does not have to be at the expense of other BIPOC groups, right? Like you can have Asian success, you can have Black success. We can all uplift each other and not have to make it like a, a game of a battle for resources or or a scarcity mindset. Like um, I've really been pra- trying to practice like an abundance mindset recently. It's like you know, like. There is enough money to go around. There is enough food to go around. We can be generous with each other. We can share resources. We can help each other out. We can, if you're succeeding, that's a, that's a win for me, right? So um, I think, like, tying back into, like, the whole model minority thing, right? Like, Asian success does not need to be exclusive. It does not need to be, um, like, we can share success, basically. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think I think for me like the the front really is my family. I think like that's where I, I see it most and that's where I have the most influence because I really am the first to do anything here in America. And so all of my cousins after me are gonna see what what I do and my family specifically like kind of put me as the bar of success. Mm-hmm. Which have gone through like these traditional very white things like, you know, graduating high school, going to a four-year university, getting a masters, all that shit. And so like, but my cousins, you know, they have different paths and I want to be able to advocate for them in that sense. So when it comes up, like, again, it's like calling it out, but also recognizing that I am privileged enough to model this, this path. Mm. So there's, yeah, there's that. Um, and I think there was, there was like that one connection to where, assimilating is really about security and safety mm-hmm. so and mm-hmm. i i want to I, I don't know i want to tell my family that like we're kind of past that now mm-hmm. i like i mm-hmm. hope i hope we can move beyond that mindset now mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. where like um like at a certain point in your life where you're making choices and you're like let's not take this risk i feel like maybe we can mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: I think that, um, I totally agree. I think there's
2: been some of those sentiments to just assimilation meant safety so that you don't get treated a certain way. Mm-hmm. Also though, if you're gonna continue on that risk path, just make sure that whatever ends up, whatever you end up doing in front of you, just always have the mindset of just keeping the door open yeah. because we could be the first to do something. I'm the first to do many things in my family. You're the first to do many things in your family. Um, and yeah, we have utilized code switching to our advantage mm-hmm. to get us further along and all that stuff. But every step of the way, somebody could say that was a strategy or a skill or a tool. The doors left open from for people behind me, mm-hmm. and as long as those doors are open, then it's an ex- expectation that people will follow after that. Yeah. So the model minority thing is is an mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. but there are there's probably some people who took advantage of that to bring more people into the fold.
1: Yeah.
3: So, so can I ask you? All, I want to ask you all a question because you're wrapping up this arc. Yeah,
0: yeah.
3: This model minority arc. Um, how long have you been doing it for?
0: This is our fourth month. We get one one podcast
3: episode a month. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this the okay. So you're wrapping it up. How has this this series of podcasts informed your like flow through CP? How you deal with the community? How how, <laughs> how you how you wet how, how, yeah, how you
0: is that the
1: next okay. of the podcast? No
3: no no no. This is this is this That's is
1: part two. Is we, no, we can wrap it up, we can wrap it up. But like you didn't see this. But like when Charles was asking that question, Julia just pointed to me as if this wasn't her podcast. <laughs> <laughs> as if, like, I'ma start this off and she gotta follow me. Do you wanna I'll I'll go go, yeah, I'll go, go her. Her. You go
0: first. Um I think for me, like The way that this podcast informs like how I move through CP. I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from this podcast is that I often define myself according to kind of like white measures of success. Mm -hmm. It's like if you make the highest dollar, if you have the biggest house, if you have the nicest car, then Mm -hmm. you're the most successful. And that's kind of what the model minority kind of lines like leads you to, right? It leads you to measure yourself up against and um kind of forces you to achieve these like very like white measures of success um and i think for me like the way that that informs my work at cp is like you know i don't have to code switch all the time i can i can do my work and do fundraising and build relationships with people in a way that's not white it can be unique or chinese in a sense it can be uniquely julia right like I can create and carve out my own measures of success and I can build my own unique relationships by bringing my full self to the table. Not bringing what I think is my full self to the table, but really truly bringing myself to the table. Um, And I think number two, like definitely like this podcast series has like made me realize just like how much my, my like Chinese American identity informs the way that I interact with people. Um, and how I work with people. So also like, yeah, like I want to leave the door open for more people. I want to I want to make sure that everybody achieves success. and also recognizing that like you know I come from a place of privilege where I can leave the door open for other people, where I can even open the door, you know, and then leave it open for other people. So that's mm-hmm. where I come from. All right.
1: Um, okay, if you've been a faithful listener of ours, you would have listened to our first podcast in December the one where we just made off off the cuff at T Republic (laughs) where we were just venting and just hit record and then we were angry that's right we were angry and um and then the first the first arc of this series was called what tired angry and hopeful um and I think I think I really took that message to heart um it was all of these negative emotions but also hope right and somewhere in all of this, like love as well. Yeah, love. Yeah, because like, like you are angry at someone. You're angry at what they did to you. You're angry at like what even caused that interaction in the first place. But at the end of the day, like we act from a place of love and not hate. Mm-hmm. Because how can we build if our opposition is done away with, you know? And then what, what's left of us? So, and then like that, that was that. And then like I think that was a very important lesson for me to learn at CP. And I still learn and practice because there's just just a lot. Um, But starting this model minority arc, though, I think you're right, is learning about my identity and how I fit into this. Because I've said this before, too. It's like this voting rights work is very black and white. Um, I needed to figure out how my narrative weaves into the existing narratives Mm -hmm. and the narratives that are still being told. So this was almost like a literal way of us scripting on the fly what that narrative is. Mm-hmm. And that helped a lot. That um yeah. So tying up the bow in this podcast. We learned a lot. I hope you all learned with us. This will not be the last time of tea time with Ben and Julia.
0: We need to figure out what we're gonna talk about next though. Our next- <laughs> <laughs> Coming soon, the next Coming arc soon. of Tea Time with Ben and Julia, September twenty twenty two. After midterms, after midterms. Oh, after midterms, we're taking a break. We're taking a break. We're taking <laughs> a break. But see us out on the field though. Like That's we'll right. be, we'll be here. We'll be here.
1: Yeah,
0: you'll be out there. All right. Well, thank you, Charles and Larcy, for taking time out of their very busy schedules and uh, for to uh, sit here and talk with us about some very deep issues so Mm -hmm. thank you both
3: happy to be here thanks for the invite
0: thank
2: you both and hope to be back at some point in the future
0: (laughs) okay all right bye everyone Bye. bye